All right. Um, so um, let's pray first to get started, and then um, we'll, we'll talk about chapter 3. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the ladies that are gathered here. Um, we thank you for just the opportunity to learn more about your word, and we thank you for the time to fellowship and just to grow in you. Um, it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. So um, first of all, I want to thank all of you for being here um, throughout the study. It's been um, a good study so far, and this kind of, even though we have the brunch next week and one more week to discuss things, this kind of wraps up our study a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll kind of get a good um, overview today of chapter 3, but also just the, the book as a whole. Um, so in, before I get started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a bunch of different sources, but I may not specifically mention them. So let me just go ahead and say I used my ESV footnotes. Um, I used a commentaries from Stott. Guthrie, Towner, and then the New American Commentary, which has a couple of contributors. So um, I, I gleaned um, from several different people um, in, in looking over Chapter 3. Um, I wanted to kind of, first of all, mention that, because this is throughout the whole book, um, good works is one of the things that we keep mentioning throughout. And I actually went back and looked and counted. I was telling my group I, I, I didn't count how many times it was mentioned, but I went back when I was doing this and counted it seven times throughout the whole book of Titus that it talks about works or good works. And um, at the end of chapter one, it's negative regarding the false teachers, like that they don't have anything fit for good works. But um, chapter two in verse seven talks about we should be a model of good works in, in how we um, live our lives in godliness. And then in chapter three, verse five, which we'll discuss more in detail, is that we're saved not because of these works. So we have these good works, but we're saved not because of them. So we'll look at that kind of as um, one of our, our themes going through uh, today. Um, I looked at um, John Stott's commentary about how he summarized Titus as a whole, and he talked about that it was doctrine and duty, doctrine and duty throughout the whole book. And doctrine and duty in um, chapter 1, it's the church, and that, you know, starts with our leadership and our elders. And then chapter 2 in the home, and that's discipleship with individual believers and in your home and throughout, um, throughout the members of the church and how they conduct themselves on a daily basis. But then chapter 3 is um, doctrine and duty in the world and how we deal with outsiders. And so I hope you'll kind of see this progression throughout Titus as we've talked about how the church is healthy and then how the individuals in that church are healthy, and then how the individuals in that church, because of the healthiness, go out and share and do these good works that others can see that will draw them to Christ. So um, another, another way to put it is that um, it's kind of like an inner circle. The church is an inner circle, and then you have, you have your home is, an, is the most inner circle, then you have your church, and then you have the things outside of that, um, the outer circle of secular society. Um, and another thing, too, um, Towner said this, actually, that the church is a community with responsibilities in the larger society. So we have our small community, but we're responsible to all those around us. And then... Paul specifically um, addresses the direct relationship that the Christian, the Cretan Christians were to have with the pagan world. So while this applies to us, obviously, in, in the book of Titus, it's, it's specifically for those Cretan Christians who we talked about in um, chapter 1 that the Cretans just had this bad, this bad rap of um, this bad reputation of who they were. And so these Cretan Christians were to be 
kind and loving towards these, these people that they were trying to not be like anymore, but at the same time they were trying to reach them for the gospel as well. Um, so I kind of broke chapter 3 up into four sections, um, verses 1 and 2, and that's interaction with the outsiders or with the world. And then, chapter, then verses 3 through 8, um, we're going to hang out there for a while, um, but that's the gospel in a nutshell, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then 9 through 11 um, was, again, just a reminder to avoid the false teachers, and then chap- uh, verses 12 through 15 are the final greetings or specific examples of of people serving. So verses 1 and 2, that interaction with the outsiders, it starts with remind them. And um, from what I could gather from from the different commentators is um, there's a lot of warnings throughout Scripture uh, about forgetfulness. Um, And think about it like in the Old Testament, Israel forgot God. and they, so it's a reminder to the Christians in Crete, this isn't anything new that they're learning in verses 1 and 2. This is something that they've already been taught, already been told, and they're just being reminded of it. Um, and so it's a, good, it's a good reminder for us as well because we often forget the things that um, we should be doing to daily grow in the Lord. Um, and not intentionally, but, but we might just get busy or do things and we realize, I, I haven't done done some of these things that, um, that would show good works to the world. Um, so the first three, so he mentioned seven things, but the first three um, apply specifically to rulers um, or authorities and, and the whole community. So you have to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, be obedient, and be ready for every good work. So this kind of, um, this is the Christians there in Crete, but it applies to us as well. We have rulers and authorities that we're submissive to. They had rulers and authorities that they were submissive to. And um, not that, I mean, obviously we are to fall into being a good citizen of our, our country, and they were as well. But obviously um, your faithfulness to the Lord supersedes that. But there is a level of submission to authorities that we have to maintain and to rulers that we need to, to keep and to help keep order within our um our country or our or among our people, and then to be obedient as well. That falls under that. Um, be obedient to the laws and the rules that have been set aside for us to follow, and to show that as an example to others who um, may be rebellious in that and rebellious in their ways. And then be ready for every good work. This was specifically um, mentioned here in the community. Um, so good works as far as how they served the people around them, not necessarily even... Um, an overtly Christian thing, but just uh, how they um, serve their community, how they serve others, and how they love others within um, the bounds of where they lived. And then the last four um, speak more to every person. So then it shifts to speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. So this was um, just a great example of, of how shifting from being a witness in the community to being a witness to every individual, being a witness to the world as a whole. Um, doing These last four apply a lot to the, um, the next verse, verse 3. He mentions them because it's, you were once this, and now you were once like the world, and now you're not. And so we see this shift to the next section, which is a big section. Um, but he has this formula that he uses throughout um, the chapter here, but also he uses it in Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, and then here in Titus um, about 
you once were this and now you are different. And so look at the people that you're dealing with within the world. Don't speak evil of them. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy because you once were like them and, and you're no longer like that. But give them, give them the mercy and grace that God has given you and show that to them. Um, verses 3 through 8 is specifically the gospel, and um, John Stott lists six ingredients for salvation noted in each verse. So six ingredients for salvation. And I feel like this is really the crux of chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, and really the whole book, because the health of the church, the health of your home, the health of how you treat others in the world hinges on the gospel. Uh, we wouldn't have any of that without the gospel. Um, so these six things that Stott mentions... Um, the six ingredients for salvation, number one is its need, and why is it necessary? Then its source, where it originates. Its ground, what it rests on. Its means, how it comes to us. Its goal, what it leads to. And its evidence, how it proves itself. So we're going to flesh out each of those. But I thought those were six great ways to look at this, this section, three through eight, of, of the gospel actually um, just being spelled out. So the need, uh, verse 3 says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so it mentions all of these things that are sin, um, guilt, and then the slavery to passions and, and pursuits. So these are, again, all these things that we once were, but now we are different, um, but we all had these things that we were bound up in and that we were caught up in. And so that's why the gospel is necessary. Everyone, as we know, has sinned. Um, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that's why there's a need there. So the next, the next one is the source, where it originates. In verse 4, we have that shift. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So that's verses 4 and 5. So verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So that source is God's loving kindness, God's gracious loving kindness towards us. It originated in the heart of God. He knew from the very beginning how it would all play out. It wasn't just, oh, man, sin, now what do I do? I mean, we know that it was always part of his plan to send Christ. And so we have his kindness, his love, his mercy, and his grace which counter all of those things that we mentioned that are sinful and disobedient against God. And then we have the, its ground and what it rests on. So this was verse 5. Uh, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's by his mercy and not our righteousness. And we know this, but the world... Um, the world would, would see works as, as this outward um, example of, of what it means to be saved, but we know that's not, that's not true, that the, the deed of mercy in Christ dying on the cross is, is the actual salvific point, is, is why we are able to come to know Christ. But then what are these works? It says it's not because of works, but we show our works um, to the world around us. So not by works done in righteousness, so, Paul, in uh, the New American Commentary, it says, Paul cannot be more clear in addressing the matter of the basis of salvation. People cannot save themselves. Salvation depends solely and completely on God's grace. 
displayed in his mercy, revealed and achieved by his son, Jesus Christ, and applied to humankind by the Holy Spirit. Um, so he also mentions um, that the Cretan Christians would, um, this strong statement in Titus 3.5 concerning the basis of salvation reflects a determined effort by Paul to eliminate any confusion in the minds of the Cretan Christians regarding the role of good works in the Christian life. So if these, these Cretans had any, any inkling that their good works were going to save them, he makes it very clear in verse 5 that it's not because of works. And so um, the good works are the result, not the cause of the saving, transforming power of God's grace in one's life. D.H. Spurgeon says, Works of righteousness are the fruit of salvation, and the root must come before the fruit. The Lord saves his people out of clear, unmixed, undiluted mercy and grace, and for no other reason. So um, the ground, what it rests on is that it's not by our works or anything that we've done in righteousness, but it's by the grace of God and his giving his son to die for us. And then we move on to its means, in, and this is partly in verses 5 and 6. So how it comes to us, its means. So the second part of verse 5, according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we have the regenerating and renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And um, there's some question about the meaning of this, but it's um, some would say it's signified in baptism, but just as a symbol, not as the saving power, that baptism is the washing. Baptism is the symbol of, of that renewal of our lives it's not the actual change but it is that symbol and we would we would recognize that um in in our in our church and and how we would display like when we come to know christ we would we would be baptized to to show that as a symbol not of anything that saves us but as as um just that reminder of what god has done for us and this rebirth and renewal is when we come to know Christ. And the Holy Spirit does that in us. So you have a reference here to Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were, they were changed. And so that's, that happens in the life of every believer that the Holy Spirit enters um, and it's poured out through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to us. And so we have this means how it comes to us through the Holy Spirit, through Christ, um, in our lives, um, and we're reborn and renewed through, through that. And so then we have the goal, what it leads to. So in verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we're justified by his grace, um, but then our final inheritance is eternal life. We're heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, and we have eternal life, unclouded fellowship with God, um, something that can't be taken away with us, away from us once we become believers. So we are co-heirs with Christ and part of his family, and that's something that we look forward to, and that's the goal, that's uh, the eternal life with him and being, being alongside him. And so then we have its evidence, how it proves itself, and that goes back to these works in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So they're to devote themselves to good works. They're to um, use what the Lord has given them and shown them and share that with the world. It's this outward expression. Um, so 
we see this as that is the kind of culmination of what the gospel does in our lives. We, we have this experience where we, um, we once were lost in sin and then we came to know Christ. Christ changed us, renewed us, and then we're created to do good works, to move forward um, in that and to share that with others. And so if that isn't enough just to say that we're going to practice these good works, he um, later in the chapter gives some practical examples. But not before he reminds us that um, in verses 9 through 11, again, that we're going to avoid false teachers. It doesn't have a reminder this time, but I think it's just a remembrance of, okay, we've talked about this earlier in the book. We've got these false teachers. Remember, don't, don't do um, these things. Don't, don't follow these things. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So we just said at the end of verse 8, um, that these things, these good works, are excellent and profitable. And then in verse 9, it says these are unprofitable and worthless. So you kind of have that contrast of, okay, we've asked you to do good works, so that means avoid these things that we talked about earlier in, in chapter 1, um, the things that, that don't produce fruit, that don't show good works to others. And so in doing that, then we say, as for a person who stirs up division, um, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So it's just reminding them not to get caught up in these things. We already kind of went over these verses, some in our small groups, of uh, don't be caught up in gossip or slander or any of these um, things that would draw us away from what the Lord has intended. So um, this is one of the quotes that I found that, that I think really sums this up pretty well. Um, these statements provide the sound doctrine that motivates believers to good works and makes the gospel attractive to a lost world. In contrast, the false teachers, with their erroneous teaching, motivate their followers to works that in essence deny a true knowledge of God and destroy the doctrinal unity of the church. When the church cannot agree on the essentials of Christianity and is characterized by conflicts and divisions, it is displeasing to God and ineffective to a lost world. So when the church cannot agree on the essentials of Christianity and it's characterized by conflict and division, it's displeasing to God and ineffective to a lost world. So that's the, the reason why he's saying don't get caught up in these things because all of these good works can just be thwarted if all of these other things come in and just kind of squelch that spirit of, okay, they're, they're doing good, but then there's this other stuff. So this, this has no place. It doesn't show anything to a lost and dying world about who Christ is and how we love one another as the church and as individuals in our home and, and how we present ourselves. So then finishing up in verses 12 through 15, he has these final greetings, and Paul always does this in his letters. He has specific people that he mentions or specific greetings, specific things he says. But these are um, important, especially to Titus, because um, you can see in verses 13 and 14 that he is concerned for the support of the fellow missionaries and the church's role in supporting missions. So it says, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So he's wanting to provide for them. He's wanting to make sure that the Cretan Christians in, in these churches are being um, are doing good works that would promote missions to these to these two, Zenos and Apollos. And it says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works again, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So he's mentioning here that they have urgent needs that need to be met, and he's asking the church to go alongside them. And so Paul is concerned for these for these. Um, 
missionaries and wants the church to rally around them. And so he stressed good works throughout the letter, and, and then he's called for assistance for fellow laborers. But this opportunity to assist Zenos and Apollos is one more example of how Christians can be involved in good works and relieve needs and further the gospel. So these are good tangible examples, and we have examples like that in our own life just to apply it personally to us. Um, our church right now is going through um, the, the lessons on, or the sermons on, on how um, church membership should be and, and how the elders should be and how church discipline should be. And so I feel like we're strengthening as a church. We're doing, like in chapter one, where it's like strengthen the church, build up the elders, build up the leadership. And then in chapter two, we have discipleship. And so um, the men have been studying discipleship, the discipleship book. We um, have been studying Titus and talking about what it means to have a godly life and, and um, to be a, a sound Christian and sound doctrine. And to we talked about um, submission. We talked about raising up, how we raise up um, our families and all of those things that apply to the individual life. And then now in chapter 3, we see that we can go out and share. And so we have examples of that in our church. We have missionaries that we support. Um, we have um, different things that we do, different things we're involved in um, as far as just supporting different um, organizations and different things, whether it's Samaritan's Purse or Scarlet Hope. Um, and then we have um, families that are overseas that we send you know, cards to or letters to or we um, maybe support them um, financially. And so um, I think that this is we can see this picture in the life of our church. Um, but we also can see that there's always room to grow and to do more and to grow more in that way. And so I hope like, that through this study that we've seen um, just how we can be a better example individually in helping our church be faithful to how Paul mentions uh, to Titus in this letter of how we should be um, as a community in, in our church, as how we should be individually growing and how we should be going out to the world for good works. Um, so I hope that this has encouraged you um, throughout this study that we are constantly being sanctified and working towards this, um, looking towards our future with Christ as being co-heirs with him. But while we're here, we have a lot to do um, to serve him and to share with others and to continually just be built up in the faith among one another and among the world. Um, so that's really all I have for you there. Um, but um, I don't know if you have any questions or anything or anything you'd like to say to sum up anything since this is kind of our last, I guess, big meeting altogether before we have the brunch. But, um, but I appreciate just um, your time and your willingness to come and, and learn more through this study, and I hope that you've been blessed by it as I have.